Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. World leaders are gathering in New York this week for the annual summit at the United Nations General Assembly. This is always one of the highlights of the international diplomatic calendar, and it will be made all the more interesting this year for the fact that President Donald Trump is making his UN debut. So what should we expect from UNGA this year? What are the big storylines to follow? What issues of substance will be discussed? And just how much oxygen will the U.S. president suck from the room? On the line with me to discuss these questions and more for what has now become an annual UNGA preview is Richard Gowan, fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. This conversation will be useful to both UN nerds like Richard and I, and also more casual observers of international affairs. I think Richard and I are probably pretty old pros at this by now. I've gone to every UNGA since 2005, with the exception of 2015 when my son was born. And Richard is one of my favorite UN watchers. Oh, and I do want to highlight a piece he wrote for the Century Foundation, which does a really good job of outlining US-UN relations in the age of Donald Trump. I'll post a link to that on the website. This is always one of the more fun, exhausting, and exhilarating weeks for me professionally. And if I see you around one of these events in New York, please come say hi. All right. Now here is my conversation with Richard Gowan. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. At the end of the day, there is only one storyline for this General Assembly, and that is the appearance of Donald Trump at the UN. You know, in past years, especially in the, the last few years of the Obama administration, uh, there was often a lot of real political substance being talked about. Uh, in and around the General Assembly. And if you go back just two years to 2015, the focus was on the sustainable development goals and climate change. This year, there's nothing like that. Uh, There's really very little substance on the agenda. And everyone is simply sitting and waiting to see what Trump will say. And his words, positive or negative, towards the UN will... uh, define whether this is seen as a successful uh, summit or a disaster. Well, let me push back against this idea of this being substanceless uh, or not not having as much depth as previous years, because um, 
you know, beyond, you know, the, 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 the Trump sideshow, and I, I want to get into that, that, you know, there are still some issues being that will be negotiated or at, at the margins. I mean, if you look at the official schedule around the UN, a lot of it has to do with checking up on the sustainable development goals, you know, three years on, how are we doing? How are we measuring progress? And, you know, there's, there's some kind of technical issues uh, around the sustainable development goals that will be discussed and addressed. But, you know, beyond the UN compound itself outside the walls of the UN, there is a lot going on specifically around the sustainable development goals and climate issues and, and Paris that the, um, you know, nonprofit community, the business community, uh, philanthropies are all kind of coalescing around this issue, these issues in, in kind of substantive ways that may not be happening inside the walls and of the UN in as a transparent passion fashion as it's happened in, in years past. I think that's true, but and you know, those as you say are largely technical discussions. They're largely building on uh, what was agreed politically in the Obama era. And to some extent, it's, it's good that uh, civil society and business uh, keeps on uh, emphasizing those themes because it, it does underline that whatever Trump says and whatever Trump does, uh, you know, these these issues, climate change and development, uh, remain major global concerns. But for all that, I don't at least find diplomats or, or UN officials uh, sort of thinking that much about uh, the wider agenda. They are all uh, extremely tightly focused on, on Trump. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the risk is that Trump will go on to the UN uh, podium on, on the 19th and uh, make some unscripted remarks about uh, the organization um, or say something about the possibility of war with North Korea that will uh, throw everyone into a tizzy. So this is what what is astounding to me about this General Assembly that's forthcoming in that, you know, as you know, every year uh, there are like sideshows around the UN. And usually those are brought by people like Muammar Gaddafi or Ahmadinejad or, or the late you know Hugo Chavez, who kind of say outlandish things at the UN podium and suck up a lot of the oxygen and, and attention. But this is the first time in my now, um, you know, 15 years of covering UN general assemblies that the sideshow is the president of the United States himself. And that's something that's completely different. And that, as you say, is, is, is something that's totally transformative. I think about this particular forthcoming UNGA. It's true. I I would say that a lot of diplomats and I assume a lot of leaders uh, still cling on to the hope that Trump might behave quite reasonably uh, on the 19th when he gives his address. And there are reasons to think that Trump could make a decent showing here. Uh, He's been critical of the UN very frequently in the past, but he's also sometimes had nice things to say about the organization. Uh, When Security Council ambassadors went for lunch at the White House in the spring, Trump was surprisingly friendly and emphasized how he would like to see the UN succeed. And it is possible that that is the Donald Trump who will turn up in New York. Um, He may enjoy the attention from other world leaders. He may stay on script. And if he does that, and if he gives a solid, you know, normal presidential performance, then actually 
a lot of people sitting in the General Assembly will will be very, very relieved. But there is also a risk that uh, the president will be indisciplined. Uh, we know he can be indisciplined at big multilateral meetings. He behaved pretty badly at the NATO summit earlier in the year. Uh, he didn't perform awfully well at G7 and G20 meetings. And obviously, there is a fear that he will uh, you know, misbehave again uh, in, fr- in front of the UN. Um, and, and his schedule, it's, 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 you know, it still seems to be a bit in flux. But, you know, last I heard, he was planning to spend most of his time at his golf club in New Jersey, where presumably a lot of the bilateral um, meetings would would take place. Now, for listeners who aren't aware, you know, usually uh, the president and actually every head of state who comes kind of schedules times and opportunities to meet with other heads of states uh, because, you know, this is one of those things where everyone's in the same building at the same time. So, you know, heads of state will often sort of plan to meet each other on the margins of the General Assembly. Um, it usually happens like in the UN or, you know, in some sort of like formal setting. But this seems to be uh, what will happen, it, presumably like an hour away in, in New Jersey, if world leaders are willing to, to trek out there. I think, in fact, uh, the White House has now decided that Trump will stay at the uh, Trump Tower. Oh, good. That's okay. There. Okay. The, I think I think they realized at the last moment that yeah, um, having the president across the water in New Jersey, uh, greeting leaders um, coming in from New York would look just a little too feudal, frankly. <laughs> so Trump will be on on Manhattan, and he's, okay. you know, he's spending a few days uh, in New York. But uh, after the first couple of days, you're correct. I think he's largely going to be focused on. Uh, bilateral meetings. Mm-hmm. And Vice President Pence is actually going to be shouldering uh, the burden of uh, a series of um, uh, a series of public discussions, including a meeting on uh, peacekeeping in the Security Council on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's pretty clear, I think, that American planners may have worried that um, Trump could not be expected to behave um, or maintain his attention uh, in too many meetings at the UN. And so Pence, who is a much more um, disciplined player, is being brought in to uh, fill in for the president uh, as the week goes on. So getting back to your original point about this having less substance in, in years past, I think that speaks in part to, um, you know, the the diminished relevance or a role that the United States is, is placing on the United Nations on some of these, uh, on, on certain issues. So for example, so I should back up and say the United States kind of plays an outsized role in setting the agenda at, uh, the UN General Assembly. So as you said, in years past, you know, the Obama administration or even the Bush administration before him would come in with a certain set of priorities and goals. Last year, if I recall correctly, like the president, um, hosted a, a meeting, uh, President Obama hosted a meeting on refugee issues and to attend the meeting, you know, you have to like pledge to do something about refugee issues. Um, and this kind of, you know, has the political uh, uh, purpose of, of elevating, you know, refugee issues among heads of states. And there doesn't seem to be that kind of, of meeting forming on those kinds of, of kind of broader substantive issues, though there does seem to be some, some um, meeting of the minds between the United States and, and the UN secretariat itself and, and Guterres around UN reform issues. Um, 
how do you see that kind of manifesting itself in, in the week to come? It is worth noting, uh, to start with, that actually the U.S. delegation to the General Assembly will be quite a bit smaller than in previous years. Um, mm. The White House and uh, Secretary of State Tillerson seem to have decided that they will deploy uh, fewer officials. I'm not sure. Is he still Secretary of State? Are you sure? Uh, at the time, <laughs> at the time of the yeah. conversation, yeah, yeah, he's um, been no, largely they, absent. The U.S. Is, yeah. the US um, normally comes with a huge number of uh, officials, um, the number will be reduced this year. And that already um, has sent a bit of a negative signal um, to the wider UN community. The Obama administration, uh, in its last few years in office, became very, very good, as you say, at playing the General Assembly game. And although I think Obama himself found... um, a lot of the bloviating that goes on around the General Assembly a bit boring, he did realize that um, the U.S. could use its convening power very effectively um, with other leaders in, in New York. And so he did hold big meetings on peacekeeping, on refugees, where he showed off American influence, but also got some concrete results um, getting other countries to, to pledge to do more, whether in terms of assistance to refugees or, or deploying blue helmets in, in the field. Uh, the Trump administration does not uh, evidently see this opportunity in the same way. But uh, as you noted, there is going to be one, uh, I think, particularly high-profile uh, American-led event uh, on Monday the 18th. And that is a discussion of, of UN reform, uh, which Trump will lead. Now, I have to say, if you had told me nine months ago that President Trump would be uh, convening a meeting on UN reform, uh, I would have laughed pretty uproariously. But uh, I think Nikki Haley, the US ambassador here, has been working quite closely with Antonio Guterres, the Secretary General. Um, to lay out some management reforms for the UN, uh, ways to make the UN bureaucracy a bit thinner and a bit more efficient. And that relationship has worked quite well. Guterres has come up with a pretty credible set of plans uh, covering management issues, peacekeeping issues, development issues. And lo and behold, Trump is going to come here and uh, give his imprimatur to um, to the Guterres proposals. Uh actually quite remarkable that you have a president who has been so broadly negative about the UN uh, giving his support to the Secretary General in in this way, and possibly also a sign that while the Trump administration doesn't appreciate the UN in the way that the Obama administration did, that at least it's learning to to work um, uh, work with the UN that it's got. And and what's interesting, uh, I think, uh, uh, about that dynamic that you just described in which Nikki Haley and Antonio Guterres kind of have see eye to eye on these UN reform issues, uh, which we should stress are, are pretty technical in, in nature. We're not talking about like Security Council reform, you know, adding yeah. Brazil to the Security Council. We're talking about the shape of the bureaucracy of the UN secretariat. Uh, and um, one of the interesting dynamics that I've noticed over the years is actually there tends to be a lot of um, 
shared interests between the Secretary General, whether it's Kofi Annan or Ban Ki-moon or Antonio Guterres, and the United States government, whether it's you know Bush or Obama or, or Trump, in um, these kinds of management reforms. They, they are kind of on one side of, of the debate, and it basically, we should say, boils down to giving the Secretary General uh, more power to hire and fire and structure the bureaucracy in ways that he sees fit. Uh, and that's something that the United States, which is one of the, which is the largest donor to the United uh, Nations, tends to, to want to, to have like a stronger secretary general. And the, the real dividing line in global politics over this is, is the North South uh, dividing line where countries of the global South tend to push back against these kinds of management reforms that streamline the bureaucracy in ways that empower the secretary general. Um, so the, the, you know, why one, while one may sort of superficially think that it's kind of odd that the UN, that the US president and the secretary general would, would kind of see eye to eye on these things, there is some historical precedent here that ought to be recognized. That's true. And it's actually often Republican administrations that um, are most focused mm-hmm. on these questions. It's of, a matter of emphasis, uh, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, uh, I think, though, that while. Uh, you know, while the need to make the UN more effective is a constant American refrain, uh, at the beginning of this year, it was not clear that um, the Trump administration um, would be willing to work even this constructively with Guterres. And Guterres um, has spent, I think, the majority of his political energy um, over the, the course of 2017, uh, looking for ways to uh, get a more balanced and more functional uh, relationship with Washington. I mean, he has worked very closely with Haley. He's built a solid relationship with Haley. Um, he hasn't had much access to Trump, but he has uh, been very focused on Congress. And he's found that a lot of mainstream Republican senators actually um, are quite happy to talk to him about uh, you know, defending the UN from uh, the sort of the worst threats of, of the White House. So Guterres deserves some credit for, you know, finding finding enough common ground uh, with Haley and with the Trump administration to to make this sort of conversation possible. You know, earlier in the year, it, it did sometimes seem that uh, Trump um, would just keep on kicking the UN uh, keep on demanding uh, unsustainable cuts for domestic political purposes. Um, it's uh, you know it's, it's positive that uh, the U.S. is at least uh, for now stepping stepping back from that really aggressive approach. Um, I, I wanted to, to talk about a few other issues that are sure to inform discussions uh, around the UN during UNGA. The first is, of course, uh, North Korea. Um, you know, one uh, interesting, I, I think, aspect of, of the U.S. relationship to the U.N. is, as you said, you know, it didn't seem early in the Trump administration that they would have much time or energy for the United Nations and for multilateral diplomacy at the Security Council in particular. But it has emerged that the Security Council is the most important platform uh, for dealing with the, the North Korea crisis, that it is the platform that the Trump administration has has chosen for dealing with a crisis in North Korea. So, 
in what ways do you see um, the the you know the 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 crisis in North Korea influencing shaping debates at at the UN this week? I mean, the North Koreans, in a sense, have done the UN an enormous favour uh, because they have demonstrated to um, uh, to the Trump administration why the Security Council is is useful. Um, uh, I think over the coming week, we're not likely to see a lot of diplomatic progress on the Korean issue. And that is for the very simple reason that Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, and President Putin of Russia are absent. So this isn't an opportunity for um, Trump to get together with the two other leaders of the states that really matter on the crisis to, to strike a deal. Um, what will happen, though, is that uh, those leaders who are in New York, um, including and perhaps especially leaders from U.S. allies, will use the opportunity of the General Assembly to, to emphasize the need for a diplomatic solution um, to the Korean situation. There are a lot of diplomats and I think a lot of leaders who are nervous that uh, the Trump administration uh, could unintentionally stumble into a war with North Korea. And uh, they have been very relieved that to date Washington has continued to stick with uh, UN dipl diplomacy and, and sanctions. Uh, and you know, one of the big, big themes in, in the rhetoric of, of the coming week will be the need to, to stay on that course, even if it is uh, difficult. Yeah, the, the the least best option sort of thing. It's... Um, it's the least worst option. option, pardon me, the, the least worst option. <laughs> it's pretty much the only option anyone can the think only, of. Exactly. Um, and people will, people will also be tying that to another issue, which is is going to be on the UN's collective mind, which is uh, preserving the Iran deal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there is, again, a lot of concern that uh, the Trump administration could stumble into a confrontation with Iran. Uh, in fact, it's clear that whereas I don't think um, Trump really wants to make uh, sort of make relations with North Korea worse than he is willing to, to risk um, undercutting the Iran deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Europeans, especially the Germans, the French and the British, who were, were part of the Iran negotiations, uh, are going to be hammering home uh, their belief in continued diplomacy. And, and you've seen over the last several weeks Nikki Haley laying some groundwork for uh, you know, the U.S. exiting the, the, the JCPOA, the, the Iran nuclear deal, with her speech at, at a neoconservative think tank, the American Enterprise Institute, and her visit recently to the International Atomic Energy Agency headquarters in Vienna. You know, it seems that she is looking hard for a pretext upon which the U.S. can claim uh, Iranian noncompliance with the agreement, although that, that just hasn't actually manifested itself in, in any sort of real way. Yes. Uh, now, Haley has been deliberately a little opaque about um, what her intentions are. It's possible that this is all um, saber-rattling um, and that the U.S. won't uh, follow through on some of the uh, some of the threats that it has made. But uh, in the General Assembly session, um, there will there will be a lot of people 
uh, linking, as I say, North Korea and Iran and saying that these are both situations which show the importance uh, and potential effectiveness of, of diplomacy. Um, President Rouhani of Iran himself will be uh, in New York. Rouhani is um, articulate and a very experienced uh, UN performer in contrast to Trump. And if Trump says anything bellicose uh, about Iran, I'm sure Rouhani will uh, very stylishly strike back um, by appealing to the rest of the international community to uh, support, uh, support the nuclear deal. Uh, another issue, and this is one that the Secretary General in his uh, annual pre-UNGA press conference highlighted as, as top of his agenda, is the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Myanmar and, and Bangladesh, in which some 400,000 now uh, Rohingya have, have fled across the border. And you know, UN officials and, and Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General himself, you know, categorized this as, as ethnic cleansing. Um, I guess I have, I have kind of two questions to, to put to you. One, like, how do you see diplomacy around this issue, um, you know, manifesting itself during, during Unga Week 2? Um, could you predict at all whether or not in his speech, uh, Donald Trump may single out or cite this issue in, in any meaningful way? You know, on the one hand, he's shown a profound antipathy towards Muslims in general, both in word and in deed. Uh, on the other hand, you have, you know, Secretary General, you have the, the UN um, representative uh, from the US, Nikki Haley, who is, you know, starting to tweet and, and be a little outspoken on, on this issue. So it's a little hard for me to, to weigh or judge how the US might approach this issue at Anga uh, next week. I think it's, profound, it's a profoundly sensitive issue, which is going to um, run through all the discussions. I mean, generally speaking, I'm sure we'll hear a lot of leaders express concern for the Rohingya. I think that um, some leaders may uh, also use this as an opportunity to announce new pledges of aid, especially pledges of aid to help um, the refugees in, in Bangladesh, uh, which would be positive. But it's clear that there is no political will in the Security Council to really go beyond um, uh, very limited criticisms of Myanmar at the moment, and you know, there's there's no uh, there's no will for an actual direct intervention. So, you know, all that a lot of leaders can do is is sort of express concern and um, uh, and pledge a bit of extra humanitarian aid. Trump, I know it's a tough one, may, right? Trump may raise may raise the issue. I I, I kind of doubt it. I, I I rather suspect that he won't, yeah. but just occasionally, as over the um, uh, Syrian chemical weapons attack in the spring, uh, Trump can sort of hit a, an emotional register and um, talk about uh, you know his his sort of visceral uh, dislike of seeing human suffering, and um, he might he might choose to talk about that. But I, I don't see him really majoring on uh, on the Myanmar issue. I I have to say we should give some credit to Guterres for uh, putting this on the UN agenda quite firmly in the run up to the General Assembly. There's there's been a fair amount of criticism of Guterres 
since he took office that uh, he places too much emphasis on quiet diplomacy and, and too little on speaking out on human rights issues. And I think it is overall true that he's someone who prefers to work through mediation, work through um, sort of backroom discussions than uh, rather than talking out. Um, but in this case, he clearly has decided that, that the only option is to confront um, the UN's members and the UN's uh, the UN's leaders with uh, the horrors of the situation on the ground, and he's been he's been brave about doing that. It's led to a Security Council meeting. Um, you know, at least uh, at least the Secretary General is is showing uh, a willingness to uh, to speak morally um, when he has to. Um, another, I think, interesting dynamic, and and one that that we've we've touched upon a little bit is how this is kind of this is the first uh, general assembly for a lot of key players around the UN, not just, of course, Donald Trump, but uh, the Secretary General Antonio Guterres. This is his first. Macron, it's his first. Even like some heads of the UN agencies, like the World Food Program chief David Beasley, he's he'll be he'll be in town for his first uh, unga. How um, will this kind of the, 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 in what ways do you think the fact that this is like a lot of key players first unga as you know they're they're in their role uh, shape diplomacy or, or manifest itself or just like affect things in any meaningful way i think that even even the best prepared international leaders often find their first unga a rather unsettling experience because uh, it is such a uh, intensive diplomatic circus, um, and it's so exhausting that, however much, um, uh, however much uh, diplomatic um, experience you have from other, other forums, it can take you by surprise. I mean, definitely talking to some of the officials who accompanied President Obama uh, to his first UN General Assembly in 2009, uh, you know, they they would say that. Uh, they had all the, the power of the U.S. machine behind them. In Obama, they had a, a very popular and very articulate president, but still, um, they found it incredibly difficult just to keep up with um, the swirl of diplomacy uh, that they encountered when they came to New York. And so, for Team Trump and for a lot of the other uh, new actors on the stage, uh, this could just be a, a rather tiring and um, rather discombobulating week. Uh, it will be interesting to see in that context how Macron does. Um, I think uh, while all eyes are really on Trump, um, there's also a lot of expectations uh, that Macron will give a memorable performance. Um, you know, he is uh, an extremely good uh, public speaker. He is. Um, he has already been talking about his desire to invest more in effective global governance, the need for UN reform, um, and the need to protect big multilateral agreements like the Paris uh, Accord and um, the Iran deal. And so I think Macron may well take the opportunity um, to present himself as a sort of an anti-Trump figure, um, you know, a real believer and a real visionary uh, in global affairs. Yep. And um, and yeah, he's. I think he's likely to to play this this whole game quite effectively. But for you know, 
for a lot of other people, it's, it's just all going to be a bit of a blur. That's funny. I remember, you know, and I know Macron is, is becoming increasingly unpopular for reasons I don't quite understand in, in France, because uh, I, don't, I don't follow French politics that closely. But similarly, if I recall that Hollande, who was profoundly unpopular at home, he was like a beloved figure around the UN. Um, it's sort of an interesting dynamic that seems to be emerging in which like political leaders, French political leaders are unpopular at home, but beloved and, and uh, vaunted around the United Nations. Yeah, true. Hollande was, um, even when his public ratings at home were in the gutter, he um, uh, was a consistently uh, very popular um, performer here in, um, here in New York. I mean, I think, you know, that, it sort of comes with the territory of being French president. You know, you're, you have a, a strong foreign policy machine um, that, uh, rather like the British foreign policy machine, sort of always invests in um, in UN affairs. Uh, and that, I mean, that's helpful. And also, uh, there's some sort, there's something magical about uh, French French leaders talking about global politics. They always make it sound so much better than than we Anglo-Saxons. Um, any anything else we're leaving out? Anything else you want to highlight, discuss, or or you know make sure that people keep an eye out for during UNGA? What um, did we miss? You know, I I think there. I mean, I think there will be. Uh, I think there will be other interesting moments. Uh, Netanyahu is speaking. Uh, actually, I think immediately after Macron um, mm-hmm. on the first day, and uh, you know, given the. Um, the amount of tension there has been over Israeli issues um, at the UN and given how strongly the Trump administration has been supporting Israel um, in uh, in the UN context this year, uh, it will be fascinating to see how Netanyahu, who has problems at home, uh, will perform. Uh, I, you know, other than that, a lot of the big players, um, such as Angela Merkel, who's busy with elections, are away. Um, I so I I don't really think there's going to be many other major political stories coming out of out of next week. Um, if I I mean if I have one tip uh, for listening to Trump, um, it is uh, it's a small thing, but I think it's an important one, which is to see what he says about Russia. Um, uh, President Obama, in all his last few. Uh, General Assembly speeches made a point of calling out Russia for its behavior in Ukraine and um, for its behavior in Syria. And Obama would always draw a very stark contrast between the U.S. commitment to international uh, norms and international law uh, and Russia's um, uh, disregard for those those norms and rules. Uh, Will Trump say the same thing? Uh, I don't know. And if... uh, you know, if, if Trump doesn't mention Russia, if he doesn't mention Ukraine, it's a small point. A lot of people won't notice it, but it will um, it'll be sort of one more signal of uh, his, you know, his continued desire to hmm. to try and maintain um, better relations with with Moscow. And um, yeah, I think that would be a telling one. I would just emphasize something I, I try to I alluded to uh, up front, which is how um, 
you know, you see like an absence of, of general American leadership uh, in, in American global, global leadership and in terms of the Trump administration withdrawing from the Paris Accords, not emphasizing sustainable development in any kind of meaningful way, coming to the UN with a, uh, a downsized delegation. Um, that all that, you know, is, is all true, but it also does seem to be offset by this mobilization we're seeing in civil society, among uh, business leaders, among philanthropies that are kind of coming together in other venues around New York to advance these issues in, in discrete ways. And even, you know, like, like a lot, a whole bunch of like mayors will be there. A lot of governors will be there, not necessarily at the UN itself, but at these other forums uh, to advance kind of concrete policy agendas uh, around like the Paris Climate Agreement or around the Sustainable Development Goals, you know, in ways that are, I think, necessary in absence of leadership from, from the White House. I mean, I think, you know, I think that this is something which um, Guterres himself actually has, has really emphasized at times that, uh, you know, U.S.-U.N. relations are not solely defined by the president and the party in power. And actually, uh, President Trump may have... Uh, sort of, in a sense, liberated um, a lot of uh, CEOs and a, a lot of other politicians to uh, to come and work and look for ways to work with the UN by um, being so dismissive himself on um, uh, times in, in the past. I think that over time, um, especially if this administration sort of bumps along to 2020, uh where you know we will see e with each year the focus move more and more to what's going on outside um the general assembly hall and we'll see um more and more of a focus on what you're describing the uh the sort of non-governmental but uh really important forms of cooperation that are sort of emerging around the SDGs and around the, the Paris uh the Paris deal this year though um for all that good work, the political attention will be um, still on the General Assembly yeah. Hall. And that, I mean, that's for two reasons. Uh, one reason is, obviously, the Trump uh, sideshow, as you said. Um, no, one could, no one could ignore that. But also, this is a year where um, uh, you know, the top political story, as we've been discussing, is ultimately North Korea. And um, North, North Korea is sort of a classic... In a sense, it's the classic interstate crisis that the UN was designed to um, deal with in 1945. And so the climate change issue is massively important. The SDGs are really, really important. But the single biggest question on the UN agenda in 2017 is can it sort of hold the big powers together over yeah. um, over the North Korean threat? So yeah, I like, think like, that's, that's sort of the, the story of the year. Can an entity created in 1945 solve a problem that's been uh, manifesting itself since 1950, basically. <laughs> uh, e exactly. And, yeah. um, uh, and so I think that's why, uh, you know, ultimately most of the stories that will come out of uh, this General Assembly will still pivot on big power politics and, and President Trump. No. All right. Well, Richard, uh, hold on to your butt. Uh, hopefully you'll, you'll, you have enough coffee and, and high energy biscuits uh, stored up for, for this week. Oh, I, I, I recommend gin. <laughs> okay. Um, although only after Trump has spoken. Yeah, right. Good, yeah. After 11 a.m. Um, exactly. Well, well, thank you so much, Richard. And yeah, hope to hope to see you there. 
Um, absolutely. En enjoy the General Assembly week. It's, uh, it's always a lark. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Richard. I always love chatting with Richard and learning from him. As always, please visit globaldispatchespodcast.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can click on that contact button. If you want to support the show, and I hope you do, I hope you consider it, uh, you can do so via globaldispatchespodcast.com and you'll earn a lot of great rewards, including complimentary subscription to my global news clips service that I would deliver to your inbox every single weekday morning. Anyway, thank you all for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of humanity in action.